Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Happy Easter. I'll give this a go. He is risen. You guys are good. I want to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 24 this morning. Be in Luke chapter 24, and as you're finding that, I want to ask you a question that will begin with this. How many of you, how many of you have had a day that didn't go as it was planned? (laughs) You're laughing. Some of you had that this morning. You had a plan, and it already fell apart. How many of you have had a week like that? Yeah, and some of you, you've had a whole year or a whole season like that, haven't you? Yeah, we, we all have days and we have seasons that don't go as we planned. And I want to propose to you this morning that the first Easter, the original Resurrection Sunday, was not one that was this huge celebration of joy like it is for us right now. Not at first. Not at first. It wasn't a joyful moment. Not at first. But for the disciples, those who had been walking with Jesus in his earthbound ministry, it was probably more like the rug had been pulled out from underneath their feet. And to really get that, you have to go back a little bit from Sunday to Good Friday and then even a little further back to Palm Sunday a week before. Palm Sunday is where we have that event that's called the Triumphal Entry. Doesn't that sound great? The Triumphal Entry. If you're on Team Jesus and you're coming in with Jesus, it's like... All of your hopes and dreams are before you. Everything is coming true. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. You're there with him. And crowds of people have gathered and they're laying down palm branches on the the ground in front of Jesus' feet as he enters. It's like a red carpet being laid out for a king. And again, if you're on Team Jesus, you're like, we did it. And you're looking at each other. You're going, can you believe this? Look at it. It's all happening. It's all happening to us and it's happening right now. And that is Sunday. Later that week is the Last Supper. Of course... They weren't conceiving of it being the Last Supper. They just would have called it Supper or the Passover meal. And as they had that meal, it just would have been one of those really good moments together for the disciples and and being with their Lord and they're breaking bread together and they're sharing prayers and they're sharing stories and they're laughing and it was full of joy and satisfaction of being together. And then Friday came and Friday was anything but joyful, right? Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's he's taken by the Roman officials. The Romans were experts at torture, and they had perfected the art of crucifixion as a method for killing people. And the disciples saw their, their friend, their leader, their Lord, the one who had opened their eyes and their lives to things that were previously unimagined, the, the one who had multiplied loaves and fish, who had calmed the storms of their life, who had raised Lazarus back to life, like we just sang about, the one who had shown them all of these things and brought hope and brought joy and brought healing in his wake to everyone he met. They saw him taken, they saw him beaten, and they saw him crucified. They had seen miracles. They had seen signs and wonders at the hand and at the voice of Jesus. But now in a moment's turn... They see Jesus is killed. And then on Sunday, some of his followers, some of the women who were closest to Jesus and had been following along with him, they're headed to the tomb. And they weren't expecting a resurrection. That's not what was on their minds as they went to the grave that morning. They went to the grave of Jesus that morning, and the grave that they went to represented some things for them that I think we can relate to this morning. 
think we can relate to the feelings they may have had as they came with the intent of standing over the tomb, over the grave of Jesus. And one of the things that that grave represented was loss. The grave represented loss in their life. The loss of a leader, the loss of a friend, the loss of one who had given them so much meaning and purpose in their life. And that was all gone now in this tomb. And I think all of us have stood over the grave of loss in our lives at times, have we not? We have. We have all lost. We've lost someone who's been close to us. We've lost a person that we loved or who was near to us who's passed away. They're no longer with us. We've lost them. And we live in times where, like, society, surely we can't be more divided than we are today. And yet election is coming. I think we might. And so we have these people who, are alive, who are, were in our lives, but now something has come between us. Something has happened, and we find ourselves on different sides of a thing. And now they're still alive, but they're no longer with us. We've lost that relationship. And even that has a grief that just sticks with us, a grief that causes us so much pain. And you've had other losses. Some of you, we've lost innocence. We've lost our innocence. It used to be that when bad things happened, it was hidden. You didn't know about it. You didn't have news vibrating in your pocket on notifications all day long. I'm not saying it's a good thing that it was hidden. It's just the way it was. But now you can't miss it. Every day, the most awful, horrible things are taking place. And all day long, you're getting buzzed about these things. And it's the reminder of the consequences and the results of the brokenness in this world. And the, the fact is, used to it, hid from us. But now we can't hide from it at all. We're just not that innocent. We've lost our sense of innocence. And some of us have lost uh, a friend. Some of us have lost, some of you have lost a marriage some of you have lost a child. Some of you have lost direction in your life. Or you've lost a career. You've, you've lost a dream that you had built your life on. You've been working towards for so long. Some of you, you lost finances in the last few years. The world has gone absolutely nuts. And so things didn't go as planned. And, and, and you've lost your sense of stability and security. We've all experienced loss of some sort, have we not? None of us is exempt from the feeling of loss. As the women went and stood over the grave, that grave represented loss, but it also represented failure, didn't it? Because the Jews had expected that the Messiah would come, and when he came, he would overthrow the cruel Roman government, and he would establish at that moment a forever kingdom on earth, and all of those people who were Jewish would now be in charge of the whole world. But now that, with Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, who was now buried in a grave, now that was lost, and hope was buried with him in that grave. And we've all experienced the grave of failure in our life, haven't we? Whether it's choices we made or it's just life happening to us, we've all been in moments where we're going, how did I get here? And we begin to play that what-if game. What if I had done differently? What if I had said something different? What if I was with someone else in a different place in a different time? What if I had listened better? What if I had not said the thing that I said that got me to the place that I'm at now? And we get stuck in the what-ifs and the if-onlys, don't we? We've all experienced that in our life as well. And, and here's what I know today. Whenever Whenever we begin to experience failure and loss in our life, it brings with it pain, right? And some of you, as I talk about this, you can begin to feel the, the, the pain of failure and loss begin to rise up in you as you reflect on that. And some of you are going, I really wish I'd come to more encouraging Easter service. What if only I had, right? <laughs> what if? 
I'll get to encouragement in a moment, but I want us to stick here for just a second. Because when there's failure and loss in our life, we begin to experience pain. And something that I know about pain is I don't like it, and I assume you don't as well. And most of us, we try to get away from pain, or we try to cover up our pain. And that's something that we're quick to do when we feel pain. We go, how can I cover up the pain really quickly? Look at Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, these women, they came to the tomb of Jesus, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, to appreciate what's going on here, what you have to understand is that the, the Jewish people didn't embalm bodies when they died, but they put them in a tomb and allowed them to decay naturally. And when they had decayed, then the bones would be removed and that tomb would be then reused by someone else who passed away in the future. So in Jesus's case, the tomb, the family grave of Joseph of Arimathea was empty and Joseph of Arimathea said, you may use this to bury Jesus' remains. And the expectation was that Jesus' body would decay naturally as, as would have been the practice in that day and that time with those people. And as it decayed, eventually it would be only bones and bones would be removed. And then that tomb, once again, would be available to the family and friends of Joseph of Arimathea. And the women who came that morning, it says they brought spices with them. And the purpose of the spices was to, to kind of mask the scent of death and decay of Jesus' body when they came there. It was to mask the, de the decay and the death that was taking place in the tomb. And I don't know what kind of spices they brought. It doesn't tell us, but I, I brought some spices. One is some potpourri, which used to decorate all of our homes in the 80s. Remember that? <laughs> Every home was full of potpourri, and yet I couldn't find it at any stores and had to order it online. And it was very, very cheap, by the way, if you're into that. <laughs> I don't know if it was, like, from the kitchen. This says... Uh, Warm and fragrant cinnamon sticks. I don't know if it was something sweet smelling like that, or some of you have already been eyeing my bottle of cool water and you think it's 1993 again. <laughs> and this is original. <laughs> and if I sprayed this right now, you would go back in time. <laughs> we may do that. I don't know what kind of spices they brought, but the purpose of the spices was to cover up the scent of death and decay so that they wouldn't have to deal with it. It would, it would erase the, the pain, the sting of pain in their nose of not just the death of Jesus, but all that they felt they had lost and, and the failure that they surely felt in that moment. And we're just like this, are we not? When something dies in us, when something doesn't go the way we expected or we thought it would, we're so quick to try to cover it up with something. Like if, if a relationship dies in our life. We're just really quick to find a new relationship to cover it up with so that maybe my life will smell a little sweeter because I don't want to deal with the pain and the stench that I feel with this relationship. We, we, I want to stop spraying that before I choke us all out here. We'll, go to, we'll move to potpourri. You know, we have a wish or a dream or a goal or an ambition and, and it doesn't pan out. It dies and what do we do? We, we go, well, if I could just cover that up with, you know, a quick achievement then, then that, would, that would help. I'd feel a lot better. If I could just cover it up with a new job or if I could get a raise, that would cover it up. I wouldn't feel so bad. And then, you know, we're in Plano, so if I could just have another vacation, that would make everything better or some new toys. And we begin to just cover up all of the death and the decay that is inside of our life with this stuff, hoping against all hope that if only, if only I can put this on top of it, then then no longer will I have to smell the decay and the, the stench of death in my life, but my life might be just a little bit sweeter because I've laid this out. But the problem is, 
there's still death on the inside of me, isn't there? That stuff is just covering up the same problem. And you can have a new job, you can have a new home, you can have a new neighborhood, you can have a new marriage, you can have a new boyfriend or girlfriend or new hobby, but that same problem on the inside still arises in you and it's left untouched. It's left just dead on the inside. And we think that we can just throw some spices on it and cover up the stench of, of the dead stuff, the broken stuff, the sad stuff, the disappointment in our life, and that our life will be so much sweeter. But it doesn't matter how much spices the women would dump on the tomb of Jesus, it would never bring him back to life. Because death is death. Except, how many of you know that with Jesus, death isn't the end? Here we get to the encouraging part. That's what we're here for. That's what Easter is all about. That with Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus proved that God doesn't just cover up all of the death and brokenness in our lives, but he corrects it and he transforms it in our lives. And that's what I want you to see today. If you'll turn in your Bible to Hebrews 12, there's something I really want you to get your eyes on today. Hebrews 12 in the New Testament. As you start making your way closer to the back of your Bible, Hebrews 12, and as you're finding that, I want you to hear, Jesus knew what he was heading to when he went to the cross. He understood exactly what he was heading towards. In fact, in that Luke 24 moment when the women come and they find that the tomb is empty, angels appear and they say to the women, don't you remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? Before his crucifixion, he told you this was going to happen, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Jesus knew exactly what the cross would entail for him. He, he sweated drops of blood for the stress of it. He told his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death because of it. And we'll see here in a second in Hebrews 12, he says he despised the shame of it. Jesus wasn't happy about going to the cross he was full of stress, he was full of sorrow, he was full of shame, and yet there was something else that he was full of that was more powerful than all of the rest, and that's what I want you to see. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. And there's an invitation in this passage for us, for all of the times that we're looking at the difficulties and the disappointments and the death in our life, to not run from it and not try to cover up the brokenness and death inside or not try to cover up the brokenness outside that is seeming to come inside and tear us down and to not try to cover up unfulfilled longings in our life, but rather to look to Jesus, to look at him. And this phrase, fixing our eyes on Jesus, means literally to turn our eyes away from one thing and with our full attention to consider another thing. He's saying to look out from our disappointment and look out from the death and look out from the darkness that we find ourselves in and to fix our eyes fully upon Jesus and consider three things about him in this text. And the first is this, to fix our eyes on his promise, on his promise. And this is how it says it here in verse 2, that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of faith. He's the author and the 
perfecter of our faith. And the Apostle Paul was so confident that this is true that he would write in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, right? He won't just begin, but he will finish the work that he's doing in your life. And this is where the confidence came from. It came from the cross. The cross shows you how much Jesus has already invested in your life. If you do a real estate deal, what do they ask you to put up up front? Earnest money, right? And they want it to be a dollar figure that is enough that you won't back out of the deal, right? It needs to be enough money that you won't turn and walk away because you would lose too much. Understand this. Jesus has invested his, his blood in your life. Like he has more invested in your life than you have invested in your life at this point. His death is invested in your life, and he's not walking away from that. He's not turning his back on you at any time. And if life at some moment has left you with such baggage and such pain that you're looking around with disappointment saying, is this is what it's really going to be? Is this what it's like? Is he going to save me? Does he care? Is he capable of bringing me out of this into something else? I want you to, to hear this. Charles Spurgeon tried to give us the voice of God to us in that moment. Imagine God saying this to you in that moment. It's a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Consider what I've already done. What? Not help you? I bought you with my blood. <laughs> what? Not help you? I've already died for you. Since I have done the greater, will I not do the lesser? It's a small thing for me to help you when you're experiencing all of these. I've already died for you. Jesus, who is infinite in power, Jesus who defeated death, is working in your life, and he can turn beauty from ashes. That is what he can bring you back to life, as we've already sung this morning, and that's his promise. Remember, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have I'll try it again. I've come that you might have life and life abundant. Not a little bit of life, not a little bit of sweet smelling over the decay in your life, but I might make you fully alive. And that is the thing that Jesus is still working out in your life. The, the Jesus who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's his promise. And the author of Hebrews wants you to fix your eyes out of the darkness onto that promise. The second thing he wants you to fix your eyes on is Jesus' experience. And look at verse 3. It says, For consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, when you find yourself low and wondering, what do I do with this? When you're dealing with the pain of it and you don't know how to deal with the pain of it, and so you start to cover it up, he says, stop and look to Jesus and consider his experience so that you won't lose heart. The cross shows you that he's committed to seeing your life through. The resurrection shows you that he's able to see it through. Do you hear that? The cross shows you that pain is to be expected now in this life, but the resurrection shows you that pain is not the end for those who are in Christ. Amen? Amen. So verse 3, don't lose heart. Remind you of Jesus saying, in this world you will have many troubles, but take courage, don't lose heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I'm talking to some people this morning here who are close to giving up, some of you. And then there are some of us who have just spent a lot of our effort and a lot of our time covering things up with, with sweet-smelling things, trying to distract ourselves or distract, distract other people. 
We cover it up saying, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm better now, or I'm hurt, but I'm covering it up with pride. I'm hurt, but I'm covering it up with unforgiveness. I'm, I'm hurt, but I'm covering it up with a facade that says, I'm fine. You're fine. Everything's fine. We're all fine, and yet we're not, because there's something on the inside that hasn't been dealt with. This morning, what I want you to see is that the author of Hebrews wants you in those moments not to cover up but to look ahead and see that Jesus has completed the race. He's won the race. And what you need to do is you need to look to him and let him finish his race through your life. He's already won the race. Now you have to look to him and allow that to be applied into your life. It's one thing, I heard this this morning from Jackie Hill Perry, it's one thing for us to believe in the resurrection as something that happened historically, but it's another thing to believe that the resurrection is something that's happening in your life on a daily basis. Do you hear that? Some of us in the low valleys of life need to be able to look up and, and see that Jesus has won the race and allow him to finish his race through your life. And here's the wonderful news. <laughs> this is the great thing. This is what we'll see next. It's not Jesus' begrudging burden on our behalf to move to a cross. It's his joy to do so. You see that in the text? It's the third thing that we're invited to fix our eyes on, on his promise, on his experience, and on his, on his joy. Look at verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, who for the joy set before him, he had joy in front of him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God forever. What held Jesus to the cross? Was it, was it nails? Was it spikes in his hands and in his feet? I mean, he, he had walked on water. He had raised people to life. He had calmed storms. Those nails were not going to keep Jesus stuck to a cross if he wanted to get off of the cross. What, what is it then that kept Jesus stuck to the cross? What is it that kept him bound to the cross? Well, verse 2 says it's the joy within him of what would come on the other side. The joy of what? what? What joy is it that Jesus had? What was it that he would have on the other side of the cross that he wouldn't have before the cross? Was it the approval of the Father? We all want approval of our Father. We all want approval of our Father in heaven. Was it that? No, Jesus always had that. And we saw that at Jesus' baptism. He came and he was baptized saying, I'm all in for the purpose I've been sent. And we heard the Father's voice from heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He already had the approval of his Father. We saw it at the moment of transfiguration. Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17, and some disciples were with him, and the Father's voice spoke again from, from heaven saying, that's my boy, y'all should listen to him. He had that. What would Jesus have after the cross that he wouldn't have before the cross? Was it, was it the authority over all things? Was it the authority over heaven and earth? No, no, he already had that. All things are made in him, through him, by him, and for him. And we find in, in John chapter 3, he who comes from heaven is above all. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. That's before the cross. He already had that. Was it the adoration of the angels? We all want to be praised. Did he want to be praised? Was it the adoration from angels that he didn't have? No, Jesus had been praised by the angels for all time. In fact, when Jesus came and was born as a human, when he left heaven and entered to the earth being born as a human, that praise of the angels finally broke from heaven. It spilled out from heaven in such a way that shepherds heard it in a field. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men. Why? 
because Jesus has come. They'd been praising him, and in that moment, the praise broke out of heaven, and it could be heard from people on earth. He had all of those things, things that we desire, approval, power, praise. He had those things. What is it that Jesus would have on the other side of the cross that he wouldn't have before the cross that gave him such joy that he would stay on the cross? It was you. He did this to save you. He, he, he stayed on the cross because of the joy of knowing you would have reconciliation with God. That the dead things in your life wouldn't be what marked your life forever. That they wouldn't stay dead. That the disappointments would be overwhelmed by joy and satisfaction in him. He, he stayed on the cross because he had joy knowing that you one day would have peace with God, that you would have rest and sleep well because you knew that you were loved and accepted by your Father in heaven. He did this because he wanted you to have delight once again. He did this so that those of us who walk in darkness would be able to see. He did it so that those of us who've had hearts of stone would be replaced with hearts of flesh. He did this so that the Holy Spirit would be with us now and all things made new would be ahead of us. For the joy of that... Jesus endured the cross. Listen, you're worth it to him. Can you hear that this morning? Can, can you just for a moment, like, like take off all the facade, can you just hear that this morning? You are worth it to Jesus. Your peace, your joy, your satisfaction, your restoration with God was worth it to Jesus so much that he willingly desired to give his life away for you. You were worth it to him. It wasn't his burden. It was his joy to endure the cross for you. And Jesus feels this way about you. Doesn't something in you desire to really see him? Not a perfectly manicured picture of Jesus that a PR department has put together for you. Not a misused or abused picture of Jesus that somebody has used to try to claim power for themselves, for their own desires. But if Jesus found you worth it, that it gave him joy that you would have satisfaction in life if he would only give his life away, doesn't it make you want to pause and to try to see the real Jesus? To see his joy. And the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, his promise for you. Look at his experience and what the cross promises for you, that he says, it's worth it and I'm able, right? And to see his joy that he has in you, being drawn into him. You go back to Luke 24 and these women who had come to the tomb that morning, they were not expecting a resurrection, right? They were not expecting a resurrection. They came to cover up the pain of loss, the pain of failure. They came to cover, to cover it all up. But they came and they found an empty tomb. And there's a moment, John picks the story up in John 20, where after seeing the empty tomb, one of the women, she's just distraught. She doesn't know how to put all the pieces together. She's like us. A lot of the time in our life, how do, I, how do I reconcile all of these things? It says she's weeping, and then she hears a voice speaking to her. Calls out her name, Mary. 
And she turns and she sees Jesus. She fixes her eyes on the author and the perfecter of her faith. And the dead things in her come back to life. What does she do? She runs to the disciples who they weren't expecting a resurrection. They were in mourning. They were in hiding. And she bursts in into where they were hiding out. And she says, I've seen the Lord. And they look at her like she's nuts. They weren't expecting this. But Peter and John heard her words and the two of them leave the room and they take off to head to the tomb to see for themselves. And that's my invitation for you this morning is to see for yourself. Don't take my word for it. I mean, just don't. Don't take tradition and and allow it to dictate how you view the Lord or how to view the the Easter story or how to view even the church. Don't, Don't let tradition dictate that for you. But I invite you to just go and see for yourself. To go see if Jesus isn't who he said he is and if he didn't do what he said he'd do. If he doesn't still do the things he says that he will do. Aren't you tired of just throwing perfume on dead things? Doesn't that get old? (laughs) Fix your eyes on Jesus. Just see if he won't give you forgiveness. Just... Just see if he won't lift the burden of sin off of your life. Just see if he won't give you hope. Just see if he won't do it. Just see if he won't give you a redeemed purpose. Just see if he won't give you a new access to God where you felt like God was so far from you, but now you go, wait, I'm starting to see something. I'm starting to see that God has turned his his full attention upon me and he cares for me. Just see, just see if he won't do that. Romans 10, For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? For the same Lord is the Lord of all. He's abounding in riches for all who call on him. Listen to this. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I love how Psalm 34 says it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See if it's not true. See if it's not true and see if this isn't true. Whoever call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to pray with you and for you. Would you bow your heads? Father, I guess I'm just really tired of hearing so many voices telling me what's right and what's true and all of those voices seeming to disagree with each other, and I'm becoming so incredibly weary of trying to cover up the death and the confusion and the disappointment in life with pretending that we have it all figured out. And I pray for this church that has gathered this morning, your church. I pray that you would help us to Lay aside every other thing that distracts us and fix our eyes on Jesus. Not PR Jesus, not political Jesus, not I'm using him for my own power Jesus, but the Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God who promises that I may go away, but if I do, I will return to you that where I am you will be also And when I come, I will wipe away every tear and I will make all things new. Oh, Lord, help us to see Jesus like that. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help our hearts to believe. 
so that all who call upon the name of the Lord will experience life and life abundant. To the glory of Jesus, amen.